We're going to be in Job chapter 32 tonight. That's where we're going to begin. We'll see how far we get. We've been in a verse-by-verse study in the book of Job over the last few months. If you need a Bible, I don't know if we got any more around. None there, none there. Two in the back. Got two Bibles left. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We may cover three chapters tonight. We'll see. It's been a wonderful study, but we're going to be concluding Job here in just a little bit. While you're turning to the book of Job, you'll find it middle of your Bible. You can always tell in the middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms. And uh, we'll be going into the book of Psalms here when we get done with Job here in a few weeks. And so 150 chapters in Psalms, we're going to go through those Psalms. And uh, I think we're going to be tremendously blessed. I know that we'll be blessed as we go through Psalms and then Proverbs as we continue through the poetic section of the Old Testament. But um, we um, uh, have a few announcements to make while you're turning to chapter 32 of Job. One is that remember that on Saturday is the ladies' conference. Ladies, we are so excited about you being here on Saturday. I know you're going to be tremendously blessed. The doors will open up at 8.30, and uh, it'll go till 3 o'clock. So be praying, all of you this week. Husbands, be praying for your wives. All of us be praying for the ladies that they are touched in a very deep and wonderful way on Saturday. So this Saturday, uh, 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock, the conference will open up at 8.30. and come in and get some refreshments that we'll have here. And uh, we're really looking forward to the Lord blessing the ladies uh, at the ladies' conference this Saturday. Saturday evening, Luke and uh, Ashley and Eileen are reminding the middle schoolers and the high schoolers that there's going to be a gym night at Day Springs Christian Academy just uh, on 20th Street, right between just a few blocks west of 35th Avenue. So 6 to 8 o'clock, parents, uh, make sure that if you're dropping them off and picking them up, that you pick them up at 8 o'clock, all right? We can't leave them there alone um, at school. So 8 o'clock is when they'll be done on this Saturday. Then Sunday morning, we'll continue in John's Gospel 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock are our service times, as you know. And uh, we'll be in John's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. Yes, we're going to see that Jesus is going to go to the garden. He's going to be arrested. And then he will begin a series of trials that will lead him to Calvary's cross. And then uh, we'll finish John's Gospel after the resurrection. And then Peter is called uh, to ministry in chapter 21. So a lot of wonderful studies that we'll be in in John's Gospel on Sunday morning for the next uh, few weeks. So that's what's on the schedule. I want to remind you that Tuesday night men is the men's study, and I believe on Thursday, this uh, week from tomorrow, the ladies' study is starting, right, Sandy? So the ladies' study will be starting back up for you ladies that are involved in the ladies' study. So uh, we'll have more announcements this weekend, so that's what we got going on right now. So Job chapter 32. Oh, one of the other things is... Some of you have been asking how the three services are going. They're going very well. Um, two weeks that we've done, the 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock, uh, and they're um, distributed you know, pretty evenly. And I know that it seems like we kind of go through you know, uh, the services, uh, and then we're starting another service fairly quickly. But uh, it, it's worked out well. It doesn't seem as congested. And uh, I looked at the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock, which were pretty even last week. If we had tried to put those two services together, it would have been packed out city. So invite somebody out. I, I just feel like, as a church, that we have a little bit of room now just to grow in these three services. 
And uh, I know that the facility seems small at times, but it's a nice facility. It's a paid-for facility. And, uh, and so we can just grow and take our time in that and see what the Lord does. If you invite a friend out, it won't be long. We'll be filling up, you know, a couple services, particularly the 9.30 and 11 o'clock, and we'll go from there. But I'm excited about the three services. And, um, you know, there are needs that we'll keep expressing. One of those needs is uh, for the coffee shop, particularly after the 11 o'clock service. What is interesting is... Um, uh, a lot of the donuts were eaten after the, the 11 o'clock service. I don't know what that's about, if people are just hungry or, you know, a little snack before lunch. I don't know. But I think part of it is because there isn't as much time in between services. But um, there's a lot of activity and things like that. So, um, you know, if the Lord lays it on your heart to get involved with coffee shop or with the children's ministry, just write in that communication card. Grab me. Grab one of the ministry leaders. And uh, we'll be happy to talk to you about that. But keep, keep us in prayer. The Lord is working. I'm so excited. I'm so excited about you guys coming out on Wednesday nights. So many young people. Isn't it wonderful to see all the young people that are going upstairs and being blessed and, and hearing the word of God? So we are blessed indeed. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can be in your word right now. And that, uh, that Lord, you just continue to provide and guide us and as a church and and Lord, tonight we want to hear from you. We pray that these words um, that we go over uh, from your word, uh, that we would bring it to a place of comfort and edification and instruction and application for our lives. So Lord, help us be attentive. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So for 29 chapters, what we have seen is this discussion, this exchange, three rounds of exchange, between Job and his three friends, his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far. And I use that term friends kind of loosely uh, um, because I don't know if they were really good friends of Job. They, they were there with Job in the ash heap. As we know that he's grieving, he has heavy of heart, he is hurting because of all the affliction and suffering and pain that he's going through. And in chapter 3, we read that Job would curse the day that he was born. Now, he did not curse God, and that was the thing that Satan wanted Job to do, was to curse God in this affliction. But we see that he cursed the day of his birth. He continues to show faith. He would give those statements of great faith in the midst of all this pain and discussion that uh, he has been in with his three friends. Now, of course, in the 29 chapters, we read that so far and Bildad and um, Eliphaz, when they spoke, they were accusing Job of iniquity. And they were coming at it with, you have sinned, Job. Your children must have sinned. And that's why this has happened to you. You need to repent. You need to confess it. And then God will bring healing and restoring to you. And Job, throughout these chapters, as you recall, he's been maintaining his integrity, hasn't he? We know that God's view of Job and his assessment of Job has been that he is the greatest man in the East. He's, in other words, a man of godly integrity. He's a man that shuns evil and fears God, and he walks upright with the Lord. And we saw in this last discourse of Job, Job, his discussion is now over. We're not going to hear from Job. We're not going to hear from those three friends anymore. 
and Job would maintain his integrity. He talked about his, his past, how it was uh, Job that uh, men would honor Job. They, they listened to him. The young men uh, honored him. The, the older men listened to him. He sat at the gate of the city. He was in a position of leadership. He helped those that were uh, less fortunate, that were uh, in need. And Job was uh, one that was very much respected. But then we saw in chapter 30 that he would talk about his painful present. And he says, now that I'm in the ash heap, I've gone through all of this, that I'm a byword. uh, Those who uh, are not esteemed are even taunting me. Those who are the lowest in society. And he he would uh, express the pain that he was going through. So Job is now done. He has uh, cried out to God in chapter 31. He says, if I have, he's taken a solemn oath. If I have done these things that are wrong, then may my arms fall off, may my crops dry up, may, you know, weeds take over my fields. And so Job here is done talking. Eliphaz, Sophar, and Bildad, they they are done discussing uh, and, and talking with Job. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that ash heap, we know that perhaps others have come along and joined and listened in perhaps on that conversation because there's indication of that. Job says that people won't even look at me and they, they, they spit on me and that's what they're doing to me right now. But in the midst of this discussion, we know that there was another individual, Elihu. Elihu now comes on the scene and he's going to pipe in and he's going to speak for the next six chapters. And Elihu is the youngest of them, of, you know, all of them. He's been waiting to speak. We're going to see that he's like a a balloon. You know how you blow up a balloon and it's about ready to pop? That's him. He's about ready to burst. He wants to speak and he's, you know, anxious and he's angry and he wants them to understand, you know, what he's going to say and to listen to him. So this is what we're going to see with Elihu as we continue in Job here, starting in, in chapter 32 for six chapters, and then the Lord's going to speak. And we're going to hear what the Lord has to say, and then we'll sum up the book of Job. But in chapter 32, verse 1, so these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. In other words, they stopped talking. Uh, what more was there to say? They, the three guys were digging in their heels. Job had called them miserable counselors in chapter 16. They said, Job, you know, you're full of iniquity and you need to repent. So the discussion is really going nowhere. And so they are silent. And with that silence, then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzzite, the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. And also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now, because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. So Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzzite, answered and said, Here is Job again. He's sitting there. It's quiet for a moment. And Elihu gives this long speech now. And as he mentions here, and as it tells us, being the youngest, uh, he is being respectful and waiting uh, to answer these guys, to speak. He realizes that, okay, the discussion is now done between Job and his friends. And he's been listening in on this discussion because 
we're going to see that Elihu is going to quote from this discussion. Now, he, as we go through this, we're going to see that he has a bit of a youthful conceit and zeal. He's going to say over and over again, listen to me. Hear what I know. I'm a spokesman for God. If you want to know what wisdom is and understanding, you need to listen to my words. He really thinks that he can be of help to Job. So, first of all, we see that as things are quiet here and as we read, he is going to pipe up here as we're going to see in verse 6. He is angry at Job because he feels like Job is justifying himself rather than God. And the other three that had said that he was Job full of iniquity, they pushed Job into a corner. They did not really, you know, press their point to where they would show that Job was indeed a sinner. So he's angry at the three friends of Job because they had failed to prove Job wrong. And for some reason, Elihu was very passionate about this situation. But the question is going to be asked as we go through this. Remember that it was the other three that they were called miserable counselors. I don't think they really knew Job very well personally because they're accusing him of things that weren't true. And they really didn't show any compassion, any concern, and they didn't really care for Job. In the midst of all the difficulties that he was going through, they were just blasting away at Job. What we're going to see with Elihu is kind of interesting. He's going to speak these long words, you know, and he's going to keep saying that I got something to say. And he's going to start out and it's going to be, he's going to be talking about the grace of God. He's going to say that, Job, I'm not going to crush you with the words that I'm going to say to you. But by the time we get to chapter 34, we're going to see that Elihu is going to turn on Job. He's going to, to really blast at him and say some hurtful things. So here is this young man, and he begins to speak in verse 6, as I said, that I am young in years and you are very old. Therefore, I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. I said age should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise, nor do the age always understand justice. So he admits, I am younger, you guys are older, and he's trying to respect that, but he says that the older, greater men are not always wise. The implication is that Job and you other three, that you haven't used a lot of wisdom. And the younger can have understanding from the Almighty as well. So you guys haven't shown wisdom. The implication is that I am wise, I am young, but, but you know, I'm going to show you wisdom. I'm a, a mouthpiece for God is what he's going to claim. And even though he shows some youthful tendencies, he is going to be a little bit arrogant. He's not really bitter, but he is going to be passionate about what he's saying. And that passion is going to kind of overwhelm the things that he is saying, kind of uh, take over as he continues to speak here. Now, I want to stop here as he talks about those who are older aren't always wise. But the thing is that those of us who are older, and I'm not just talking about chronological and age, but those who are older in the Lord, listen, we should be wise. You remember if you read the book of Hebrews and the end of chapter 5, that the author of the book of Hebrews says at a time that you guys should be eating the meat of the word, that you're still dribbling in milk. You're still dribbling in the milk of the word. Now, sometimes people get that a little confused with what Peter says, 
recall that Peter says that we just should desire the Word of God as, as newborn desires milk. And, and people will say, well, isn't that kind of a contradiction, Pastor Jeff? Peter says that we should desire the milk of the Word. You got to read it carefully. Peter says we should desire the Word of God as a newborn desires milk. And you know how a newborn is, that when a newborn wants to nurse or wants milk, they cry right away, don't they? They want it now. And that should be our heart and our mindset that when we, you know, are Christians, that I want the Word of God and I want to have a deep desire for the Word of God. So the author of Hebrews is saying this, that a time that you guys should be growing and maturing and starting to take on the meat of the Word, you're still dribbling in milk. And it is a sad commentary on Christians who have been, you know, believers for years and years and years, and they're still dribbling milk. They're still, you know, uh, not understanding or growing in the Word of God. And I want to encourage you that the Lord will take us from the milk of the Word. That's what we all start out with. Just as a newborn baby starts with the milk of the Word. But you don't see, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds walking around with a baby bottle, dribbling milk. But what we do see is that they begin to eat meat when they get teeth. And as we grow, that's a natural progression. That should be the same thing with us as Christians, that we're beginning to take on solid food of the Word of God. And I know that, that you guys believe that because you're here on Wednesday night going through the Old Testament, and I commend you for that. So continue to go through the Word of God, continue to grow, because as we have discussed in details, it's going to benefit you greatly. You're going to walk in godly wisdom, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You're not going to get deceived by the world, and you're going to have instruction and direction and correction for every area of our lives, and that's a wonderful thing. So keep growing. But young people, too, can have wisdom as well, as he says here. Remember that it was Paul that said to Timothy, young Timothy, who was commissioned to pastor the church at Ephesus, Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth, but you be an example in word and conduct and purity and, and faith and in love. And so Timothy, a young protege of Paul, as, as Paul was discipling him and, and growing them and using them in ministry, uh, Timothy was one that was very wise in the scriptures. And of course, his parents, his grandparents, his mother or grandmother are mentioned specifically as being a big influence in that. But for you guys who are young, and, and I encourage the, the guys upstairs, the youth, just grow in wisdom. And it's wonderful to see somebody who's young who's just growing and has that godly wisdom. It blesses my heart. And so we don't want to despise those who are young, who are growing in the Lord and maturing in the Lord. But here he, he, he continues in his introduction here in verse 10, that therefore I say, listen to me, and I also will declare my opinion. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasoning while you search out what to say. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words, lest you say we have found wisdom. God will vanquish him, not man. Now he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him with your words. Uh, as he addresses here uh, Job, he criticizes Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar for being ineffective. You fell short. They were wrong to accuse Job the way that they did and to hurt him with their words. They were miserable counselors. 
They are ones that really cut deep, you know, with the words that they used. And that's the thing, that you can do that. They, what they were saying was not all wrong. What they were saying was that God punishes the wicked. And we know that God's word tells us that, doesn't it? That God's going to judge sin, that he's a righteous judge. But the wrong implication was given to Job, that Job, that you are wicked. And that's why you're being punished. So the wrong implication and application was given to Job. And they had dug in their heels and they continued to do that. Matter of fact, they said things that were very hurtful to Job. And here Eliphaz, that he's rebuking them for that. And yet he's going to do the same thing. As I mentioned, by the time we get to chapter 34, he's going to say some things that are very, very hurtful, even more hurtful than what the other three said, because he's very passionate about this and kind of boasting. He lets his arrogance get the best of him. But I just want to say this, and I know that we have talked about this and discussed this, but I think it's very, very important because what we're going to see on Sunday is we're going to have Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And John's gospel doesn't record everything that takes place where Jesus goes and he's sweating great drops of blood. So it goes from Jesus going to the garden to pretty much here comes this detachment of troops to arrest Jesus as Judas the betrayer is leading those troops. And some of the chief priests and and elders are with them as well. And in that garden, you know the story that here the disciples were sleeping. They're awakened by the soldiers coming into the garden. Peter wakes up. He's probably droggy. Remember that he had claimed that he is going to stand strong for the Lord. Lord, I'm going to stand by you this night. When Jesus was telling them that all of you guys are going to make to run away, right? You're going to scatter because of me. And Peter said, not me. He's boasting in himself. Not me, Lord. I'll stand by you. I'll die with you. All these other guys may run away, but not me. So Peter, he's trying to be brave. And what does Peter do? He gets up and he starts swinging that sword. And he's a better fisherman than a swordsman because I think he was probably aiming for Malchus's, you know, head. And he got his ear. And plop goes the ear. And Jesus said, put the sword away. Don't you know that I'm going to take on the cup of suffering and death? Peter, I'm going to go to the cross. Don't you know, Peter, I can call down 12 legions of angels. You see, all Jesus had to do is simply speak. And 144,000 angels would have come down, destroyed those soldiers, destroyed Jerusalem, the whole world. But Jesus didn't. And we're going to see that Jesus is saying, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And they all fall down backwards. What a sight that must have been. He was letting them know that I'm in control. I'm going to let you take me, but I'm doing this willingly. Peter, put the sword away because I'm going to take on the cup of suffering and death. And Jesus went to that cross because he knew that you and I would have no hope of salvation or no provision of forgiveness of sin, no reconciliation with the Father if he didn't go to the cross, if he didn't take on that cup of suffering and death. So we'll discuss that a little bit more, but I do want to say this, that the Word of God is likened to, you know, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, right? In, in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. Make sure that you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And sometimes we can take the Word of God and we can start hacking away. And we start cutting off ears. 
we start being harsh with the Word of God. Oh, we're given truth, but there's no grace. There's no compassion. There's no comfort that is given to that individual. We're just whacking away. And that can happen if you're not careful. And that's what these guys were doing. And plop, there goes people's ears. And I know that in my own life, particularly when I was young, that I chopped a few ears off. Because I thought I was so smart, I thought I was so clever, and I'm going to, you know, use the Word of God and hack, hack, hack. And pretty soon people stop listening. Listen, I'm not telling you to compromise the truth. But Jesus, remember in John's Gospel, was full of grace and truth. It was the perfect combination that he was truth that was also with grace and grace that had truth. And the two go together. You don't compromise the truth of God's Word. But there is a God that is loving and compassionate and caring and desires for, yes, for us to repent, for us to be corrected. There are times where we need to be rebuked, but it is always, always because of his love for us. So we want to use the word of God in a discerning way, in a way that we are able to minister to others. Yes, sometimes that they will rebel against that word. Sometimes they'll reject that. Sometimes they'll get upset at you. But we need to be careful that we're not just taking the Word of God and chopping ears off. And that takes real prayer and real discernment and, and being led by the Spirit of God as He leads us in ministering to others. So here is, you know, um, you know Eliphaz saying, you guys, you accused Job at the, the, the way and you hurt him and you didn't prove your point. In verse 15, they are dismayed and answered no more. Words escaped them, and I have waited because they did not speak, because they stood still and answered no more. I also will answer my part. I, too, will declare my opinion, for I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It's ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Uh, let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. Again, he says, I've been respectful. I've waited for you to stop speaking, and I'm going to answer my part. Verse 18, the spirit within me compels. Now, when you and I, when we speak to others, it's a good point here that is brought out that we want to be compelled, we want to be led by the Spirit of God, don't we? And it's important that we're sensitive to the leading of the Lord. And that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. As you go out throughout your days, you're being sensitive to the leading of the Lord. He'll compel you to minister to certain people, to stop and, and uh, to say perhaps some words of encouragement or give instruction to somebody. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of you have happened, you know, that's happened to you before, hasn't it? You're in the store and you see somebody you haven't seen for a while and you think, I just want to stop and talk to them. And as you're talking to them, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is giving you words to speak to them. Or perhaps sometime during the day, somebody comes to mind and is on your heart and you feel this, you know, compelling uh, prompting to give them a call, to, you know, write them a note, to send them some words of encouragement. That's the Holy Spirit that compels us, and it's wonderful to be led in that way, and you'll be amazed how God will use you as you're sensitive to the leading of the Lord. So here is Elif, um, uh, Elihu, that is, 
that is um, compelled by the Spirit, he feels. Um, I like a, a new wineskin that's ready to burst. Remember Jesus said, you don't put new wine in new wineskins because a new wineskin would be rigid. It would be hard, and that new wine would begin to ferment and, and expand and pow, burst would be the wineskin. And that's what he feels like. Uh, I'm this new wineskin that's about ready to burst. I have so much to say. And so he is going to speak here, continue, and believing that he's compelled by God. But what is interesting is when God comes on the scene, he doesn't address Elihu. He ignores him in all that he said. And so chapter 33, as he contradicts Job here, um, he declares how God is gracious. He begins that way, but then his uh, tone is going to be a lot harsher. Now remember the other three guys were saying, that you're suffering, Job, because of your sin. And Elihu will give this insight that God permitted suffering to keep us from sin, uh, the implication to keep you from sin, and, and this is evident in God's grace. But then he's going to change his tone very quickly in chapter 34. It's interesting uh, how he does that. And we read, but please, Job, hear my speech, chapter 33, verse 1. And listen to all my words. Now I open my mouth. My tongue speaks in my mouth. Uh, my words come from my upright heart. My lips utter pure knowledge. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. If you can answer me, set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Truly I am as your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. So here that he's stressing that I'm your spokesman before God. And in these verses, he continues to be wordy, doesn't he? Kind of proudful, arrogant. He keeps repeating that I got something to say. So we've gone through one chapter, verse 6 of chapter 32, in the verse 7 of chapter 33, he hasn't really said anything except that I'm going to speak and listen to me and I'm speaking for God and I'm his mouthpiece. Sometimes, listen, that we, when in our excitement to share God's word or to teach God's word, doesn't mean that the more wordy that you are, that the more effective that you are. Now, sometimes people will say, I'm, you know, give their credentials for a long time before they have something to say. Well, I have something to say. I'm a Bible teacher, and I study the Bible, and I do this, and I do that. And it's like, get on with it. And here he's being wordy, and he's not really saying anything. He just keeps talking about himself and what he has to say. I would rather give a 15-minute Bible teaching where, you know, we're going through the Word, we're making, you know, the the application, uh, because we've looked at the implication, we looked at the interpretation, what it means for you. I'd rather do that and go through, you know, the scriptures that way than to give this long-worded teaching where there's stories and, you know, opinions and all of this. And we need to remember, just because you may be more wordy doesn't mean that you're being more effective, all right? in what you're saying to someone. Sometimes we think the more words I speak, the more effective I am. So some of you may be thinking, well, why don't you stop now, Pastor Jeff, and let's call it an hour. <laughs> you know what's the neat thing about going verse by verse through the scriptures? 
I remember, you know, in my youth, you know, when I was hearing verse by verse, I thought, I can't do that. You know, I can talk about a verse or a couple of verses. And the neat thing about it is when I'm done, I'll just go to the next verse. I can, I can do that. So we're going to continue on. So I'm not going to stop. <laughs> but he's being so wordy. He hasn't really said anything. But now he's going to begin to speak. But he is saying that, Job, I won't crush you like these other guys did. And, and you can respond if you want, which Job never does. And he calls Job by name. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but the other three guys didn't call Job by name, did they? And the reason they didn't is perhaps they didn't know him as well. Maybe Elihu knew Job a little better, or maybe they were being more formal in their address to him. But he addresses Job by name. And then in verse 8, Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. He listened to Job say that he was without transgression, that I am pure as, as he begins this address finally. Job did stand by his innocence, but here's the thing. He never claimed that he was without sin, that there was no iniquity in him. Job in chapter 9, verse 2, he said, how can a man be righteous before God? Chapter 13, he talks about the iniquity of his youth. And my words have been rash in chapter 6. So Job never said specifically that he was without transgression. Here he's claiming, I've heard the discussion, but you, Job, have said you're without transgression. I'm pure. And that wasn't fair to Job. Elihu wanted to be fair to him. I'm not going to crush you, but right away he doesn't. He says, I'm going to help you. Well, he's not helping right now. He didn't hear all that Job, what he was saying as he's holding onto his integrity, as he's speaking. Job was struggling with the suffering. He was hurting, wasn't he? Again, I want to emphasize there's a difference between hearing and really listening. And if you want to be a good counselor to whoever it is that you minister to, that you really want to listen. And the key is, is that your heart touches their heart and that you try to get them to see God's heart. And, and that takes real listening and caring and, and sometimes being quiet and just praying and, and saying few words at times. And uh, here is, you know, Elihu, who's been boasting for a chapter and a half about how he is God's spokesman and listen to me and you guys don't have anything to say and I'm angry at you guys for failing your point and, and all of this. And right away he begins to make implications that aren't really true. Now, it is interesting that um, as I was looking at this um, and thinking about this, we're going to go into the book of, of Psalms here in a few weeks. And David, in his early um, Psalms, he wrote at least 75, half of the book of Psalms. But in those Psalms that he wrote, we're able to read those Psalms, and then we're going to be able to go back to First and Second Samuel to the times and the circumstance and the stories that we read in those two books of the Old Testament when, you know, what was happening with David in the time that he wrote those psalms. And I think it really brings those psalms alive, what David was feeling and going through. And what you'll find interesting as you really look at it is that it is David that he would talk about his 
you know, integrity. He would talk about how he walked in righteousness. All that before he sinned with Bathsheba. And David did walk in integrity in that he didn't come against Saul. He had opportunity to, to kill Saul when Saul was pursuing him and trying to kill David. David could have pleaded, uh, um, you know, self-defense here. But David said, I will not touch God's anointed. God put Saul in that position. I'm going to let the Lord take him out, not me. And David had that desire to walk with real integrity and righteousness. He sends with Bathsheba, and from the Psalms that he writes from that point on, he doesn't talk so much about his righteousness and iniquity, but continues to just pour out his heart to the Lord and forgive me and, and to you know, restore him and, and, and just crying out for God's grace. So that's kind of interesting what we'll see and talk about. So here Elihu in verse 10 was right that Job believed that God was against him. We saw that clearly, didn't we? Job writes that I'm a target for the Lord. Uh, Job writes and says concerning the Lord that I haven't found any justice. That, you know, it's, it frightens me to, to think to be in the hands of the Lord. Why serve the Lord? Why pray to the Lord? And again, sometimes there are individuals that can feel that way, especially when they're going through sufferings and difficulties and trials. And as we have discussed, that Job talked about the greatness of God, the majesty of God, but he did not know in experience and he had forgotten about the goodness of God and the mercy of God. And what James would write, that Job, who was patient and endured the sufferings, would come to understand and to know God's mercy and his compassion. And he's going to find that out here at the end of the book, is God's going to bless Job once again. But I want you to know, you who are going through difficulties, and you who are perhaps going through a tough trial right now, or loss, or grief, or whatever it is, that God is great. Yes, he is. And he is just. And he is righteous. He's also very compassionate. And he cares for you. And he's good. And he, his ways are not our ways, as we know. And his thoughts are in our thoughts. But as Isaiah says, that his ways are much higher than our ways. And his thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. So here Elihu was right that Job believed that God was against him, but he's not showing much compassion. Let's continue to read in this chapter. Look, in this you are not righteous, verse 12. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds, when he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man and keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. So all these words, and he says, God is greater than man, verse 12. Now, I think that Job and his three friends have already declared that, haven't they? So don't contend with God. He does not have to give an account of any of his words. Here, here's a verse that's a good verse to remember. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. You might want to write it down for you note-takers. And in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it's easy to remember. It tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, and the things revealed to belong to us and to our children, that you may walk in, in the law of God. In other words... That the things that are revealed to us, 
belong to us and to our children. That we can apply it, we can stand on the promises of God. There's a lot of things here in God's word that, you know, instruct us and guide us and, and the truth and uh, about the Lord. Uh, gives us guidance and direction in every area of our lives, doesn't it? The word of God is so wonderful. And it's for us and for our children. But not everything is revealed to us by the Lord, is it? So the secret things belong to the Lord our God. <coughs> and it isn't that the Lord is keeping things from us that would benefit us. But again, in the sovereignty of God, we're not going to understand everything. When we go through trials, when we go through difficulties especially, when we go through pain, and we go through loss. A lot of times we say, Lord, why? We wonder why. Even Job here, when we get to the end and God answers him, God's not going to answer him specifically why he allowed this to happen. But he's going to bless Job. And as Job says, that when I get through this, I'm going to be refined as fire. I'm going to refine this gold that's gone through the fire, in other words. And the thing for us to remember is when we go through certain circumstances and trials of our lives, we don't always understand why we go through them, do we? We may not know on this side of eternity why. Or why certain things happen to us. Or why, you know, the difficulties. Lord, why did you allow this to happen? But here's the thing. As I've told you this over and over again, and that's why I say this, that when we are confronted with those things that we don't understand, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. That what we are to do is then turn and we are to rest on and stand on the things that we can know in God's word because they belong to us and to our children. When you're confronted with things that you don't understand, then fall back on the things that you can't understand in God's word. And know that he is with us. He promised he'll never leave you or forsake you. And that he is working. And that his promises are true for us. And that he desires to minister to you in those trials to where you become better, not bitter. Lord, I don't understand. And I'm hurting through this loss. And I'm confused. And this is heavy on my heart. But Lord, I have your promises. And I know that you're with me and that you love me, and your promises are true for me. And you keep crying out to the Lord and drawing near to him because he cares for you. And you stand on those promises, and you rest in his love for you. And that's what we're to do, because there's going to be plenty of times and plenty of seasons in our lives and circumstances where we don't understand why this is happening. Lord, I don't understand why this trial or this loss and we can go to him and then fall back on the things that we do understand. So here we see that, that God does reveal what he wants and, and what we need, uh, but he doesn't always reveal everything. And here he says God speaks in three ways. In verses 15 through 18, first of all, he, he speaks in dreams, visions, in a dream, in a vision of the night when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds. Then he opens the ears of men and seals their instructions in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. 
He keeps back his soul from the pit, as I read to you, and life from perishing the sword. So again, dreams and visions. Old men shall dream dreams, and young men shall see visions, as Joel chapter 2 tells us, as Peter would say on the day of Pentecost. And so he says the second way that God speaks is through sufferings, verse 19 through 22. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones, so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food. His flesh wastes away from sight, and his bones stick out, which once were not seen. Yes, his soul draws near the pit in his life to the executioners. God speaks through suffering, is what Elihu is saying. C.S. Lewis said this, that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts to us in our pains. And God does use pain to warn us. He does use difficulties and trials in our lives to, to humble us, to bring correction, to bring us to a place of submission. Elihu here is indicating that God is speaking to you. He, he's bringing this pain on you to keep you from sinning, Job. But then we're going to see that he's going to accuse Job of sinning. We must not say that all suffering and pain is a punishment of God. That's what Eliphaz, Bildad, and, and so far we're saying. And not all suffering comes from God. You know, there are choices that we can make in life that bring pain and difficulties and sufferings. And that's why throughout the scriptures we're told over and over again that sin brings defeat and discouragement and pain is what it does. John would write that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So again, I want to remind you of this, that God's expression of love to us is every commandment that he gives to us, every truth that he gives to us, and it is not burdensome. In other words, that as we walk in truth, the truth will set us free. As we walk in truth, we're not going to be bound up by the 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 deception of the world. We're not going to be in bondage to the pleasures of the world and be defeated. It is a loving father that says, do not sin because you're going to get hurt. And I hope that we're understanding that here at Calvary Chapels. We go through the scriptures because there's a lot of sermons about, oh, just live any way that you want. God loves you the way that you are. You know, just do what you want as a Christian. That's what walking in grace is about. We're not going to talk about sin. Live any lifestyle you want. Live the way you want. And the Bible says no. That this is the love of God. That we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. And the Lord wants you to be free. He wants you to do well. Experience that abundant life. And He does not want you as a child of God to be hurt. And be in bondage and be defeated and be discouraged. And have death that comes to you, just to your spirit, to your walk. Sometimes can even bring death because of terrible decisions of being involved in sin. So here is, you know, some real practical things that, that he's bringing up. But again, he's twisting it around. And God will use the 
things that we go through that are very difficult, as I mentioned, to refine this, to keep us from sin, to keep us from getting proud, is Elihu says that, you know, God will allow this to keep you from sinning. And there's some truth to that. You know, as Paul, that he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, remember, they had a thorn in the flesh. He said that, that, you know, there was a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times for healing, lest I be exalted above measure. The Lord allowed this so I wouldn't be exalted above measure, this thorn in the flesh. But in those times, God does desire to speak and to show himself strong and to minister and to lovingly begin to just strengthen us, bring comfort to us, show his love to us in those times. So here is Elohim. Elihu that's saying these things, again, giving wrong implications. In verse 23, if there's a messenger for him, a mediator, one among thousand, to show man his righteousness, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be like a uh, young, like a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God, and he will delight in him. He see, shall see his face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness, then he looks at men and says, I have sinned and perverted what was right, and it did not profit me. He will redeem his soul from the going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. If you would just receive from God, God's messenger perhaps is a reference to angels, you would receive God's grace. That's what he says. You'll be rescued from the pit, verse 24. You'll receive healing, verse 25. Your relationship will be restored to God, verse 26. Now, to me, this isn't a whole lot different than what the other threes were saying to Job. It's just restated. It's coming at it at a different angle. But essentially what he's saying is admit you're a sinner, repent from blaming God, and then you'll be restored, Job. He starts out by talking about how God speaks, God's grace. God's grace includes he'll allow you to go through some suffering to keep you from sinning. But, Job, you need to confess your sin. He's very, very confusing, and I think that's why Job does not answer him directly. But we read in verse um, 29, Behold, God works all these things twice, in fact, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. Give ear, Job, listen to me, hold your peace, and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me, hold your peace, and I will teach you wisdom. Listen to me, Job. I'll give you wisdom. Hold your peace. I wonder what Job was feeling at this time because he doesn't answer. And I wonder if Job kind of made a, a gesture of, you know, just shaking his head or rolling his eyes and Elihu's going to continue here. Now, I was going to continue through verse chapter 34, but I think we'll stop there tonight, all right? The Lord loves you. Listen. The Lord loves you. And the Lord is with you, and he wants to continue to grow you and mature you and refine you. When you're confronted with things that you don't understand, fall back on the things that you can't understand. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for these couple chapters that we went through. And Lord, I pray that my words weren't lengthy and empty, but, Lord, that your word has touched the hearts of your people. And Lord, I pray that we would leave this place knowing 
that you love your children, that you desire to work in our lives. And Lord, we don't understand everything that comes into our lives. Why there are storms. Maybe it is for correction. That's what Jonah found out as he was trying to run from you. Maybe it is to show us and to teach us faith. That's what he showed the disciples when they were in a boat in a storm. Because the Lord had promised they would get on the other side. Lord, we don't always understand, but we can't understand that your promises are given to us. And Lord, I just want to pray for those tonight who perhaps find themselves in circumstances. Maybe they've been there for a while. Maybe they just started. We're not sure why things are happening or they're confused. Or maybe they've been crying out to you for understanding. And as the Bible says to us in Proverbs, that we're not to lean on our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on your own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you and you will direct our paths and you will work in our lives. And we know that your grace is sufficient, just as you told Paul, who prayed for healing. And I pray for strength and I pray for blessing upon everyone here, no matter what the days are ahead. That, Lord, that we know that your word is true for us and we can stand on your word and rest in the promises that are given to us and in your love. And Father, I just want to pray if there's anyone here that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening on live stream. And we want to tell you about the gospel tonight before we leave. That Jesus went to the cross for you because all of us are sinners. All of us have been sentenced to, to being guilty in and of ourselves. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And that's why Jesus came to take on the cup of suffering and death. The Son of God who lived a perfect life came and died for you because of his love for you. And he went to a cross and he allowed them to pin his hands and his feet to that cross and he shed his blood for atonement of sin. That is, that there be forgiveness. He paid the price for you, for your sins. He died in place of you and for you. As all of the wrath of God was placed upon him, all your sins were placed upon him and he took that wrath and took the death for you. And he cried out, it is finished, I've done the work. And he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days. And he conquered sin and death because he is the Lord of all. He validated what he did on Calvary's cross. And now the Bible says that as you come in faith and believing in Jesus and who he is and what he did for you and dying on the cross, that he's alive, that salvation comes and forgiveness of sin, and you become a child of God, truly, with relationship with Him. It only comes through belief in Jesus. The Bible says, repent, turn direction, and turn and surrender your life to Jesus. So if there's anybody here that you'd like to do that, do so right now, right where you're sitting. That you pray, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. 
I believe you died on the cross for me and that you rose again and you're alive. And Lord, I know you're alive because you're knocking on the door of my heart and I open my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And thank you for dying for me. Help me to live for you and to walk with you all the days of my life. And if you did pray that prayer tonight, if you're on live stream call, let us know. If you're here tonight, I want to pray with you after the service. Let me know the, the decision you made. But for all of us, Lord, may you take us home tonight. May we just rest peacefully tonight knowing that, that you see us and you hear us. And Lord, you desire to work all things for good. For those who love you are called according to your purpose. So we thank you for tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Travis is going to close us.